The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, very good morning. You're watching Scorebox. Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, are your anchors for the next three hours. Lucky old you. Right, these are your headlines. Morgan Stanley and Bank of America joining the roster of banks reporting bumper profits lifted by higher net interest margins. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan telling CNBC a soft landing is firmly on the table. Our research team, which is terrific, still has us having a slight recession in the early part of 24, but they have moved that out again, reduced it to two quarters, not three, and lessened the depth of it to basically a soft landing, more or less. Solid bank earnings helping boost equities, with the Dow notching its longest winning streak in more than two years. Meanwhile, Microsoft shares surged to a fresh all-time high after revealing pricing for its new AI subscription. While talks to extend a deal deadline with Activision Blizzard go down to the wire. And the UK braces for potentially another hot inflation print as underlying price pressures fuel speculation that the central bank will need to maintain its tightening path. We will break those numbers at 7 o'clock BST and hear from the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, John Glenn, ahead on the show. Good morning, Karen. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, as you know, I'm on various odysseys in my life to fill in the vast amounts of gaps in my knowledge. One of them is regarding semiconductors mm-hmm. as well, and that's why I just finished that excellent Chris Miller book about chip wars, which I'm not here to uh, get a commission from anyone, but I thoroughly recommend if you don't know about chips like me, it is worth having a look at. But one thing he talks about is the highest technology chip making facilities and how these are closely guarded secrets. The other point he makes is about the global supply chain and how it's virtually impossible for one country, whether it be China, whether it be the United States, whether it be Japan, South Korea, or dare I say it, Taiwan, to silo completely the entire production process from start to finish of chips. It is a global supply chain and we are intricately woven. And at the heart of that, is the, cre- the creation of the latest technology. And for that, we're talking about ASML. Yes, and this is a company, don't forget, that is right at the forefront of the reshoring theme, the home shoring, reshoring. So many see the numbers that are hitting the tape today as a, just a, a reading as to how quickly that journey is happening. Yeah, look, they've had a super rally this year, ASML. This is the Dutch company, which has shares have risen, <laughs> risen 32% this year. Uh, and in terms of their technology, let me get this right. They make EUV, which stands for Extreme ultraviolet lithography machines and the thing is these are the ones that are enable Moore's law to carry on going i.e. more capacity and smaller chips are on a regular basis as well but that said they are at the center as we've discussed really just alluded to today but discussed many times on previous occasions uh, of a battle to limit technological transfer and you saw the the, the foray about germanium um, and gallium from the Chinese not necessarily letting these uh, key ingredients in the semiconductor chain uh, have export licenses. Well, actually, the opposite of that is the Americans putting pressure on the Dutch, which then had some results to stop ASML transferring its most 
advanced technology to the Chinese. But anyway, I need to get to the numbers. <laughs> Second quarter earnings have come in at 1.9 billion euros. That has beaten expectations. Slightly ahead of forecasts as well. Analysts had been looking for 1.82 billion euros as well. The revenue figure has come in again a bit better than expectations at 6.9 billion euros. Uh, again, the analysts were looking for 6.74 billion euros. I'll just mention very briefly um, that they are also talking about strong growth for 2023. Net sales increase seen towards 20%, a slight improvement in gross margin relative to 2022. So the market wanted a lot from these numbers. They wanted to effectively see a beat on guidance, a beat on the estimate. We've got that. They also wanted to see a, a positive guidance figure. And we're only just potentially positive on the guidance. And this may be the sticking point today. So the 6.9 billion you've just seen in the second quarter on sales, the guidance now for the third quarter is for a range of 6.5 billion, which would be less. Uh, the range here, 6.5 to 7 billion. So there's a chance we could be stable, a chance we could be slightly high, but also a big chance the numbers could be lower in the third quarter. And I think that might be a slight issue for the market today, looking at this guidance that's just crossed. Uh, Gordon Moore in 1965, I should just remind people when I talk about Moore's Law, absolutely fascinating. Again, learning about this stuff is amazing. The number of transistors in an integrated circuit can double every two years. Think about that. From 1965 to now, that was the, the prophecy there from Gordon Moore, one of the, one of the fathers of this industry as well. Uh, and as we've seen, chips and chips have got smaller and smaller. The capacity has got higher and higher as well, yep. which has meant, of course, um, they have powered just about everything, having dozens in everything we use. So the issue is that the company is in a space, as you've pointed out, that is now facing huge geopolitical headwinds. And the most recent decision was around the restriction of certain sales of ASML's advanced immersion lithography tools to China. The next leg, and this is in report at this stage, is that it could also wrap up other additional services here around the repair and supply of parts uh, around these machines. So we could see another leg for this company in particular. And just worth noting from the US angle, there have been huge concerns in the chip sector. The, the group, the body that represents the chip makers has been warning about further decoupling of restrictions of sales to China and that it will threaten the ability of these companies to embark upon further research and development saying, look, this has been a huge amount of uh, contribution to revenue over the years. You take China sales out and it will very much slow the pace of R&D in future because we have to account for that lack of contribution from the Chinese mainland market. So I think just worth bearing in mind some of those warnings that have been coming through. Micron, of course, which is one that's uh, been lobbed with Chinese restrictions, has been at the forefront of that lobby group. NVIDIA as well. And NVIDIA has been selling a lot of its uh, very Graphic advanced chips. chips, the A100, at uh, what a price of what, $10,000 a pop. It's also concerned that it's going to be cut out of the Chinese market. So I think when we look at ASML, this is the, exactly the same story through the European lens, we need to be concerned about where the story goes from here. Yeah, and it is uh, the uh, four nanometer tech, which is in, of course, these uh, NVIDIA chips as well. So it is completely interwoven on a global basis. Well, and where's the greatest fabrication in the world? Taiwan. And then therein lies the issue as well, geopolitically, because that's where TSMC is, which is without doubt the, the, the biggest fabricator of chips on a global base. Karen, we're going to really pivot from chip technology 
to what's going on in the financial sector in the United States. Yeah, more traditional area of the markets, right, but hugely important after what we saw at the start of this year around the banking crisis. Well, shares in Bank of America and Morgan Stanley spiked Tuesday after the two big Wall Street banks posted beats in second quarter earnings per share and revenues. Bank of America saw earnings come in at 88 cents per share, while when it came to revenue that topped $25 billion, largely on the back of rising net interest income. The lender says it expects net interest income to come in at around $57 billion for the year. Speaking to CNBC, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan says the U.S. is on pace to stamp out inflation and potentially even avoid a recession. Inflation is getting in, under control, and you saw that in the spending numbers today, that you see that in some of the inflation numbers over the last few weeks. And that's good, because in the end of the day, it'd be great if we could get this inflation tamed and still have this kind of unemployment at 3.7% or whatever the unemployment rate is. We feel that if the stability continues to hold in the market, you'll see that activity come in as you move out of the summer into the fall. And, and that's important, because that capital formation is what will lessen the probability of a recession out in the future because that capital formation, capital spending is part of the drill that makes America great. Rolling on from these numbers of 88 cents per share from Bank of America to what we saw at Morgan Stanley, the company posting earnings of $1.24 a share and revenue of almost $13.5 billion that was helped by record results in its wealth management division, where revenue climbed 16% despite a dip in fees. CEO James Gorman told CNBC that although he sees the end of the Fed's hiking cycle, he doesn't expect to see a rate cut soon. I think the odds of a recession were low. Uh, and if it happened, I felt uh, likely to be relatively shallow and short. So I was in the like, it's just not that big a deal whether technically we have a recession. What matters is if you have a deep recession that changes the unemployment outlook. And that, that's not happening. So, no, I think the Fed, you know, they're, I'm sure they're going to raise this week. Will they do another one? Based on the recent numbers, it's hard to argue for more rate increases. But a, a counter number could push that. You could get one more after this. I think the odds are definitely against that. Those who are calling for a rate cut this year, that won't happen. There are times when the analysts are spot on and so close to what the earnings estimate is to what it transpires um, that it's just un uncanny. And then there's Goldman Sachs, because quite frankly, the analysts haven't got a clue about this one. It's, it's almost like payroll Friday with Goldman Sachs. Seriously, genuinely, the estimates go from 33 cents a share to five bucks a share. That's how wide the estimates are uh, for Goldman's. I know, I know it says 349 there, but I mean, that's uh, uh, a mean estimate rather than the... the um the, the broad consensus, shall we say. So Goldman Sachs is the last of the big Wall Street names to report, with analysts split over how much it will lag its peers and how many one-offs it will incur for the quarter. Refinitiv sees Goldman revenue coming in at just under $11 billion, down more than 8% on the year. Earnings per share, as I mentioned, well, it says three and a half bucks on your screen, but as I say, the lowest we've seen, and I'm using FT copy for this, is 33 cents a share, the highest being five bucks. There you go, wide range. Uh, if it was three and a half, dollars that is less than half uh, of last year's figure it wasn't just the major lenders that impressed though a pnc financial eased some of the concerns of the health of america's regional lenders as net income came in flat compared with the same period last year despite the turmoil in the sector last year shares in bny melon popped what a lovely word popped 
uh, as uh, higher rates, I don't think it's very good for my microphone, but I'll do it again, popped, uh, as higher rates helped it post a second quarter beat. Uh, and brokerage firm Charles Schwab was the S&P 500's best performer Tuesday after it beat estimates and said the pace of deposit outflows is slowing, Karen. <laughs> TV ops dream, aren't you? Well, I know, well, they, they have this, this thing where they don't like the mic popping if you use the word pop. Yeah, this doesn't work technically, but I'll just do it again. Well, well say the word pop <laughs> exactly. on my microphone. No, no, that would upset the sound people. Let's get to Matt Orton, who is Chief Investment Strategist at Raymond James. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. The market reaction yesterday around the bank suggested that all things were rosy, but that wasn't exactly the, the theme that was coming through. Still tumbleweeds through the investment banking side of the business. Uh, it seems as though the market was just really picking up on the positive aspects here, the fact that we didn't have a ramp up on those delinquencies at this stage, despite rapid interest rate increases. Just give us a sense of the takeaways here for you. Yeah, good morning, Karen. I think the takeaways are definitely positive. When you look across the earnings season so far for the banks, whether it be the big money center banks or some of the, the larger regionals that you've heard from so far, I think the key trends are, are that we're seeing an inflection in deposit flight that was very clear from Schwab. And I think that's why you saw a number of the regional banks start to, to increase and maybe hold the bottom. You didn't see any fallout from them, which is definitely encouraging. I'd say the, the key point to follow is more of the regional bank start to report is what happens with commercial real estate losses, because you did see loss provisions pick up at JP Morgan, Bank of America. They are up you know, 20, 30% year over year, albeit from a small base, but that didn't derail the earnings. It didn't derail net income. And I think the big takeaway that we need to be cognizant of with respect to this economic story is that the consumer remains in really, really good shape. You know, the consumer has continued to surprise to the upside. And I think that has provided a lot of support, not only for the economy as a whole, but for corporate earnings. So anyone who's been calling for this earnings apocalypse for the past 18 months, it just hasn't materialized. And I really don't think it's going to. And so when I talk to our clients, the big message is, is with the more benign economic backdrop, I think that that allows risk assets to continue to move higher. I just think the path is going to be a little bit bumpy because there are a few cracks that we're starting to see Deal flow for banks is improving, but it hasn't improved. And so there's still some room to go. So I think financials look good. Still not my favorite place for investment opportunities. I'd still be looking to other cheaper places like healthcare or industrials uh, that, that have a little bit more, I'd say, earnings horsepower and that are more tied directly to what is improving and working in the economy right now. Matt, I just want to dig into that a little bit more because it is the same assumption that I arrived at. The fact that the consumer resilience was a big theme that investors picked up on the trade yesterday around the banks. Also, the clearing of the hangover from the banking crisis earlier in the year. But that trade doesn't seem to have a lot of legs at this point because if we look at some of the underlying factors in the banks still, it wasn't what it looked like in 2022, right? Not, not the boom years that we've had. And it feels like there's a huge amount of cost cutting that really is just sustaining these bank numbers at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, expense cutting is definitely evident. You saw that with Morgan Stanley. Uh, you've seen that over the past year, like you noted, Karen. I think that's a result of, of capital markets activity, broadly speaking, still being in the doldrums. So like I said, deal flow is improving. It's not great. 
M&A activity is what's really, really lagging. I think there are some encouraging signs, though, because when you look down the market cap spectrum, deal flow for smaller companies, whether it's buyouts, takeouts, that has been improving. So if that can translate up market cap to some bigger deals coming through, maybe this Activision Blizzard Microsoft deal coming through helps thaw sentiment around deal flow as well. You still have some question marks around the FTC, what they're doing with some larger healthcare deals. I think if those go through, that might help improve sentiment around deal flow. And that might help accelerate some of the earnings for a lot of these banks as well, because it has been driven by a lot of other departments. um, And you need to see deal flow come back in order to really have the the, the leverage that you need to, to get sustainable improvement in margins going forward. Matt, let me challenge you on just about everything, which is my want as well. Uh, How on earth is Western Alliance going to keep net interest margin at 3.4% and Wells Fargo at 3.1% when you've got rivals out there like Bank of America, uh, Bank of America, beg pardon, Bank of New York Mellon, 1.2% and State Street, 1.2%. We're going to get viciously competitive on deposits now, aren't we? Instead of the pathetic 0.4 to 0.5 that US banks have been averaging uh, in their offering to US consumers. Yes, like loan bait is definitely picking up and accelerating, and that that has been a problem for a lot of the regional banks. That's why you've seen deposit flight. You've seen so much money this year moving into money market funds. But a lot of the business, especially at the bigger banks, I will say, the insulation from the push to get or to match where money market funds, I don't think is there as much because a lot of that is in checking accounts. It's not necessarily in savings accounts where you need to have that catch up to where the market is. So I think they have a little bit of room. Down the market cap spectrum in the regional space, this is why I think there's going to be big winners and losers, because those who are exposed to just consumers, savings deposits are going to have a bigger problem to sustain margins and have to catch up with the net interest income. Those whose businesses are more tied to the regional economies as a whole, whether it's small business lending that remains strong. So you look at the Southeast, you look at the Sun Belt in the U.S., a lot of those regional banks have been more resilient. And so that's why selectivity is going to be so important, especially if you're trying to pick a bottom in regional banks, which I'm not. When, when I talk to clients, the message is, and it has been really since since March at the very, very lows, was it's still too early to be moving into the space because there are still a lot of unknowns with respect to how the evolution of margins are going to go. And so if I'm looking to put new money to work in the market, I'd rather find cheap companies that have just been left out of the rally because people forgot about the fundamentals with the AI acceleration you had this year. And so that's why HMOs, you saw United Health report fantastic numbers, um, raise the bottom end of those guidance. Those companies are reporting double-digit earnings growth year after year after year. That's a trend I want to own. I want to own profitability and high quality. And there are still pockets of that as this market starts to broaden away from from the magnificent set. Matt, I'm going to get you on all this. You're a fantastic guest. So I want to talk to you about all of those amazing opportunities on another occasion. But I want to go back to an assumption that you and Karen, you were cozy together, you two, both agreeing with each other about how wonderful the consumer was. 
Am I missing the point here if the consumer is so strong that their credit card balances have exploded on revolving credit, which now costs 24% on average? Am I missing the point from the latest data that says retail activity on goods has so far contracted in the second quarter with the April-May average down 1.2% from the first quarter average, weaker than the 6% rise in the first quarter? I'll go on. I normally do as well. Uh, We're seeing elsewhere uh, a huge contraction. Here we go. Uh, Quarter to date, services spent spending is 1.7% uh, on an annualised basis, down from 3.2% in the first quarter. If I extrapolate these trends, Matt, things don't look quite so rosy. Yeah, so yeah, I, I like the challenging, Steve. And I think the consumer has, has been something that I have been very adamant about a lot this year. I mean, I've been traveling around the country to visit clients, to make shows. People are everywhere. I'm going to get to be on a flight that hasn't been packed. You know, I'm sure your streets in London are overrun with American tourists, the same across Europe. But those numbers as well, you're looking at quarter over quarter. A lot of numbers are year over year as well. And you're coming from such a high base in 2021. And what I care about is looking at, you talk about credit card spending being up so much, but it's coming from a really, really low base where almost no credit card usage was in place in 2020 and early 2021. And when you look at the savings that still exist within the American consumer, there's still about $500 billion or so of savings, excess savings that are still yet to be deployed into the economy. And so that's unlikely to be utilized or fully utilized until at least the first quarter of next year. And that's coming from Fed reports, Jamie Dimon, Moynihan, they've all corroborated this when they look at their consumer businesses. And so when you look at the real-time spending and credit card activity, coupled with bank balances to support paying that off, the picture still looks very, very healthy. And so to me, that, that, that allows this economic, this more benign economic narrative to continue moving forward, at least I'd say into Q1 or Q2 of next year. Matt, we're going to do this on another occasion. I love chatting to you, but I'm just going to, I get to finish off, I'm afraid. 42% of Americans have less than 1,000 bucks savings in 2022. The average American savings account is $4,500. The average household balance on a credit card is over 8,000 bucks. That doesn't sound quite so as exciting to me. Actually, I'll give you 20 seconds. Do you want to come back on that? I will. I'd say averages can be misleading. I'd look at medians as well, because some of those averages can be skewed by those who are higher income. And I would end on the note by saying, when you look at income growth in this country, the bottom 50% of workers have had income growth and wage growth for at least the past 12 months that has exceeded the rate of inflation. So the ability to spend more and support their spending habits has also improved. You want medians? I'll give you medians. The median balance for American households is $5,300, according to data uh, mentioned by Time Magazine. I love this, Matt. Come back again, please. We'll do this on a regular basis, the three of us. Thank you, sir. Matt Orton, Chief Investment Strategist at Raymond James. Is that good? It was a great debate, and I, I think that it. is the point that you've finally got We're wages now. We're all just now. statistics well, at each other. Wages surpassing inflation does tell you about that might. So even though you've dwindled down those uh, savings from COVID, mm. that is still coming through from another avenue. But all those negotiations got the on wages. From COVID left. I don't think it's the bell curve distributions on your average American. I think a lot of those savings, dare I say it, they might be skewed to the top twenty percent. And they well, don't need to spend I mean, them. We're having the greatest debate of all time, which is the time lag. How long does it take to deplete savings? Yeah. When you deplete the savings, what comes next in terms of the wage increases that you are receiving? And when do you put more money on credit? So uh, that, that turning uh, wheel that the Fed's been trying to achieve. Karen, we've got to move time. on. You, you, you're spending too much time with our previous guest, Meant we're, we're squeezed. 
<laughs> the, uh, we mentioned these. US June retail, that was me, I know. US June retail sales rose less than expected, up 0.2% against expectations for a half point jump. We just mentioned this. Uh, consumers spent less at service stations and building material outlets, but maintained or boosted spending elsewhere. Core sales excluding food, fuel and building materials rose 0.6%. It is without doubt a nuanced picture, but it is without doubt the market is looking on the upside, Karen. Fierce debate because there was a lot for markets to digest yesterday from the data, from the banks. There was a lot of read into just what we're seeing in the underlying economy at this point. US markets, what do they do with it? Well, they bounced. We had a strong gain across the board. There was another theme as well, the AI sizzle that's been brought by a number of big companies. Microsoft also brought more of that yesterday. Big moving stock for both the S&P and also for the Nasdaq as we saw the pricing of generative AI products for the market. So uh, this very much uh, giving the uh, stock itself and other AI names, another bounce in session. But the banks, it is worth noting that the pop we saw in the KBE, this is the bank ETF, it was up 3.5% in session. So as uh, big name lenders all saw bounces on the back of those uh, earnings updates yesterday, big catalyst for the Dow, 1% high, as you can see, outpacing the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. So big themes playing out for the markets in trade. As for the dollar, this was the trade across the board as we take a look at uh, the major pairs and crosses. On the back foot for sterling and euro, we are setting up for a big inflation print today out of uh, the UK. That could be instrumental for pound direction. We are currently off, though, before that data print hits at the top of the hour. We're down by about a tenth of a percent, holding the 130 handle. We're 112.21 on euro dollar this morning, also leaning slightly weaker. Dollar has it versus the Japanese yen and versus the Chinese currency. So greenback is king, the story unfolding this morning. To the Asian markets, picking up on that green from Wall Street. And it is, again, a mixed bag. We've got uh, major markets from Australia to Japan just picking up on that Wall Street trade and travelling into the green. A fairly solid day for the Japanese stock market again as Tokyo stocks bounce 240-plus points or three-quarters, 1%. The impact for the China markets from that data that we've kicked off the week with uh, the mix of uh, fairly soggy information from the retailer to industrial side and property investment continuing to have a negative impact on Chinese stocks and Hong Kong in particular down close to 200 points or just over 1%, Steve. Super duper right. Check out our subscription service, CNBC Pro, for a look into the future. Ooh. Uh, and how global markets could end the year, as well as where you should be positioning right now. Uh, just ahead on this show, margin pressure expected at Tesla. I mean, it's self-induced, isn't it, to get market share? But Arjun will be here uh, with what to watch as the EV maker prepares to release second quarter earnings. Later in the show, we'll get another price pressure reading with June. I can tell you there is a, a sweepstake sweeping the newsroom about what these UK inflation data are going to be. The prize is mildly underwhelming. Uh, Aribile will update you on this one as well. And we'll be speaking to John Glenn, the Chief Secretary to the UK Treasury. You can catch that interview at 7.45 British Summertime. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
Microsoft shares hit a record high after announcing it would charge $30 a month for a new generative AI offering in its Microsoft 365 software. That figure would increase monthly prices for enterprise customers by as much as 83%, bringing in additional revenue through recurring subscriptions. Now, the firm has also announced it will add visual search to its Bing chat service, allowing users to upload a photo and ask for more information. Uh, Tesla is expected to report record second quarter sales after the bell with revenue for the quarter seen in at around $24.5 billion, according to Refinitiv estimates. This after the EV maker delivered a record 466,000 new vehicles uh, in the three months ending June. Uh, that sales expansion, uh, do you know what? I'm not gonna read any more of this because it's, 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 it's Arjun's thing. Arjun, I mean, I'm talking about the, the cost to EPS of the sales expansion. But, I mean, is the key number today because we kind of know the sales. Is it the margin figure? The margin figure is going to be key. But the really, the, the view from investors here on Tesla is this. We are happy with margin pressure, at least this year. We know the macro stuff. Uh, we know there's increasing competition, particularly out of China. So we're happy with that margin figure to be under pressure. What we want to see is continued deliveries ramping up and continued production ramping up. And that's already what we've seen from the numbers Tesla's reported in Q2. When you look at deliveries, uh, it was over 466,000. It was a record quarter for deliveries. Productions ramping up. There was a report yesterday that Tesla's also looking to ramp up production. It's Berlin factory as well. So these at the moment are really what the market's uh, focusing on when it comes to Tesla. The question is, as we move in uh, to next year um, and, and investors start looking at 2024, what does Tesla do on the pricing? And then what does that mean for margin? I think investors are very happy this year for, for margins to, to, to be under pressure. They know that that is the case. Elon Musk has signals, signals, signaled as much and they trust him in that. But next year is going to be key in terms of pricing and that margin ramping back up. Let me give you a line from Proactive Investors. ARK Invest, led by Cathy Wood, drained over 13 million US worth of Tesla shares from DTFs ahead of the earnings results coming up and effectively re-put that money or park the money elsewhere into Meta. So the Elon versus uh, Zuckerberg, uh, Mark Zuckerberg conquest uh, still goes on. Playing out in the in Cathy Wood's uh, investment yeah. portfolio. Absolutely. I mean, look, Tesla's had a, had a phenomenal run already this year. There are still, uh, even as Tesla continues to sort of be very shrewd on pricing, even as it continues to, to have a strong brand in some of the key markets like China, there are questions about you know, the sustainability of the Tesla run, as well as the competition that continues to come in the EV space. Investors at the moment very excited about a couple of things with Tesla. One I mentioned was the production ramping up and, and the, the idea that, look, the supply chain issues are resolved. The second area is also the focus on this Cybertruck that's coming to market. This is going to be the first new Tesla vehicle in a number of years. Uh, do you remember the one when they unveiled it and, and they threw a massive I, I metal ball through the window, that one? I know um, somebody who's, um, who's ordered one. Really? And and it's a very lucrative He's part really of the excited. market, right? That that sort of pickup kind of category, particularly in the US. And, and so they're very excited about the potential right. of but, this of this Cybertruck. But before it's even come to market, <coughs> Ford with its offering, this is the F one fifty Lightning pickup truck. It's already cut prices, and the narrative in the marketplace is fine. We're comfortable with China having a price war for EVs, but we're not in the United States because it's what 7% of uh, overall automobile sales is EV. We're not ready for a price war in the US market for that category. Is it already there? It's begun. I mean, that was a very early warning shot from Ford. I think one thing you can never discount with Tesla, and, and this is always something that I think people, uh, particularly the Tesla fans, uh, are very keen on, is, is the Tesla brand, is the Elon Musk brand and what that does to sales. We know 
just from anecdotally, when I was in China in, in particular, yes, we had all the Neos and Xpengs and stuff, but there were a lot of people who said, I want a Tesla. Mm. And I knew people who, who could afford it, who actively chose Tesla over these domestic brands because of that premium brand image it has built over the years. And you can never discount that from, from, from Tesla and its ability to sell cars. Stunningly scary for the old marks who are trying to catch up with their electrified versions yeah. because this is the first, arguably, I mean, I can't think of another one, first new mega brand in the auto sector for decades. Um, I have got to move on to an old brand. Um, I'll just give a couple of details on this one. Uh, Renault. Renault's talking about their branded electrified cars rising by 18%, now accounting for 37% of the brand's passenger car sales in Europe. So that's extraordinary. Electrified passenger cars over at Renault, 37% of the brand's passenger car sales in Europe. Worldwide sales amounted to, to 1,133,667. That's not 66, it's 67. Up 13% versus the first half last year. Order backlog in Europe is 3.4 months of sales as of the end of June. Can I do one more flash? Oh, go on then. This is about Volvo construction. I just thought it was very interesting. Uh, they're talking about construction equipment and China and a few concerns there. Chinese market continued to have a significant negative correction due to pre-buy effect related to emissions regulations changed at the end of last year. My point is China, again, concerns here. Volvo sees, this is the, um, not the car maker, this is the um, uh, the, the construction equipment group, you know, the trucks, uh, sees 2023 China construction equipment market down. Wait for the, I, mean, I think this is a mega number. This is why I'm breaking the break almost here. Negative 40 to 30%. Sees China construction equipment market negative 40 to 30%. Previously, they saw negative 15 to negative 5%. I think that is an enormous downgrade in what they're seeing in China construction. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.